0: This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 168th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we are looking at the cases of Sherlock Holmes number 14 from Renegade Press, cover dated July 1988. But first, a little feedback, and the first bit of feedback comes from me. Because I noted in the last two episodes That we selected those Impact books based on a Twitter poll, but in both cases, both episodes, I forgot to discuss the results of that poll. So the final results were that just over 50% of the votes were for the Impact line. A distant second was the Marvel Ultimates, followed closely by the New 52. Neil Adams Continuity Studios came in a distant fourth. So I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Did not want to keep that hanging from the last couple of episodes. Now, on an older episode where we covered Shatter, Trevor Owen Williams had something to say. As a big John Sable fan at the time, I guess I was able to follow Shatter from the very beginning, too. Collected the title but think I'm still trying to fill in a gap or two before I read it all. Now, I encourage you to do that, Trevor, and trust me, you can probably find those missing issues for cheap. And on last episode, Stella, from Batgirl Oracle and Required Reading, continued to make her tired, old, hashtag, fake news, conspiracy theories public by asking how much I paid for the comic in question. But my replying with a picture of the exact comic, with the yellow 25-cent sticker on it, did not convince her of my integrity. Which is a shame. The poor, deluded girl. Also, Sir Martin of Grey Had some thoughts on Impact Comics Part 2. So, yes, I liked the Jaguar from Impact, but this annual was pretty forgettable. I do find it funny that all a comic has to do is end on a dramatic note to get extra points from the professor. (laughs) As regards the question of gender flipping, I'm pretty sure all of the Impact versions were new characters, so why not yet another? cat lady. I'm holding out for a more boyish fly girl. And did you notice that penciler Scott Collins was Scott Collins here? Mart is pointing out that the penciler usually spells his last name with one L, but it was two L's in this issue. Clearly, a Superman reference. No. Mart asked, Do we blame letter Tim Harkins? Or did Scott finally tell that second L to get the L out of his life? Mart did acknowledge that that last joke, for better or worse, was worthy of Dr. Ange. (laughs) Yes and yes. On the topic that all I need is for a story to end well, that topic has been a theme for almost eight years now. As, As long as this network has existed. The importance of endings the value of endings, and and how heavily we weight the quality of an ending, uh, how you measure the journey versus the destination. And in this case, I think I just showed to the entire comics industry what a sucker I am. Give me a bland story, but end it with a bang, and maybe I'll be back next month. I'm not proud of this, Mark. I'm not Proud at all. Social media love for last episode came from Chris Lydon. We love comics. Luke Giaconetti from Earth Destruction Directive. Pat from the Long Box Crusade. Karen from Between the Pages. James Williams from Karen. Vic from Phoenix. Max. Clinton from Fan Film Fridays. Robert Ludwig. The Most Sane Man Among Us. Chris Willette, Manuel Carmona. Tim Price from the Outcasters, Laurel Mountainflower from the Huntress podcast, Billy D, from Into the Weird, Johnny Gill 6, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Randy Watts, and our listeners of the year, the kind and lovely Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network. Thank you all for that feedback and support. I think it's time for us to take a break here. And when we get back, we are headed straight to Baker Street.
1: You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. You heard right, partners. The Vigilante rides again. From across the western plains and into the streamlined east flashes a mystery writer symbolic of the spirit of frontier America, the Vigilante, heroic champion of law and order who battles 20th century criminals with weapons of the range in a ceaseless one-man stampede against all lawlessness. Follow the victory trail of the prairie troubadour, Greg Saunders, and his alter ego, the Vigilante, as he rounds up public enemy number one with smoking six-guns and twirling lariat. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Rary Justice, the Greg Saunters Vigilante podcast, climbs into the saddle on Podbean and Apple Podcasts.
0: And we're back. And by me, I don't just mean myself and my bathtubs full of quarters. For no... We are joined by nobility for this Sherlock Holmes issue. I'm employing my own team of irregulars. We are joined by the Countess and Count themselves from the Rad Adventures Network, hosts of such shows as Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, Continental Comics, and Xenographic Xylophones. (laughs) It's Ruth and Darren.
2: Hello, thanks for the invitation. Did I get I'm glad you finally right? got
3: that title right. I tried so- for so long. <laughs>
0: I'm still waiting for the invitation to be on Polysyllabic Professors, by the way. but <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, eventually.
3: I'm so happy that we get to be here with you and talk about Sherlock Holmes, uh, something that we all love and we get to share and talk about from time to time. So thank you so much for inviting us on.
0: You know, and, and among those alliterative podcasts hosted by you two is Sensational Sleuths. Mm-hmm. So, talk about that show and also your passion for detective fiction.
3: So, yes, yeah, Sensational Sleuths. So I, I do, uh, I do tend to choose titles that are very. <laughs> much like that and we love our sensational sluice show we haven't done many episodes of it yet we just had a a, a second one to come out so wow we're up to two but we are thinking about more very soon so uh but the very first episode of sensational sleuths was dedicated to sherlock holmes our favorite detective um we love everything about sherlock holmes from the original stories to you know the most recent film and tv adaptations they're just uh There's so much great variety there. We like more than we dislike. So you can't like everything, but we like lots of them. I would Uh, say
2: anything Sherlock Holmes related, I want to try it out.
3: Yeah, try it out. That's absolutely right.
2: Great characters, great imagination and great puzzles and mysteries.
3: And we do just love mysteries in general. I mean, Mm -hmm. mysteries are our favorite genre Uh, for those people that follow us on social media you probably see that we very often are watching a mystery on a Sunday night or a Monday night so we'll do you know Sunday sluice posts or mystery Monday posts uh, because we just we love mysteries so we watch a couple every week classics new stuff I mean the Brokenwood Mysteries which is a newer show that we just love out of New Zealand so mysteries in general we love detectives and it's just our our comfort genre, whether it's books or comics or TV shows or movies. Speaking of comics, I know, Alan, you're a fan of The Maze Agency, too. You know, we've been promising each other to talk about that for a while. So (laughs) one of these days we'll do that, too.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Did it start with Sherlock Holmes for uh, either of you or Encyclopedia Brown? Or what was the origin story for A a Love of Mysteries?
2: For me, Nancy Drew. So Mm, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys. Uh, loved the television show, read the books, and then Sherlock Holmes immediately followed that. So like in high school, and I was just blown away that I was reading something that was written so long ago that Mm. I absolutely loved. Mm -hmm. I was fascinated by, you know, the vocabulary and the mysteries.
3: And for me, I think it really is Sherlock Holmes. I can't actually remember when or how I discovered Sherlock Holmes I can I can guess it's one of two things and it's probably the Basil Rathbone movies because that's I'm sure that I would see them on Saturday or Sunday afternoons probably my dad watching them and me you know as a toddler watching them with him so I'm sure that's probably where I discovered Sherlock Holmes but I also you know sought out the books at the library and then my grandfather who was an avid reader but he was a he was a western reader he loved mm-hmm. westerns mm-hmm. and he got for christmas or his birthday one year i forget which the illustrated sherlock holmes which is a beautiful hardback edition not the complete short stories and novels but probably about a third or half of the short stories and novels collected into a single hardback edition with all of sidney paget's original illustrations so he was given that and he <laughs> very eagerly just passed it directly on to me because it wasn't a Western. So it wasn't what he was going to read. And I just loved it. So I I devoured that book and I still have that book. So yeah, it's, it's probably those two things, but you know, since before I can remember exactly when I discovered it, I, so I found Sherlock Holmes very, very early on. And
0: for me, I think it did start with Holmes as well. I remember reading a paperback version that collected a handful of the stories maybe five or six stories and maybe, maybe sixth grade. One thing I specifically remember about that paperback was that the cover of it was the reveal, the giveaway, the, 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 the climax of the speckled band story. And I'm not going to give away that spoiler, but it's like, but, but at, you know, I don't think I had the word spoiler at age 11, (laughs) (laughs) but I experienced it for the first time. Right. At age 11, like, what is Holmes doing on this cover with this? With that, then you know, 40 pages later, on like the <laughs> last page of one of the stories, Aww. there it is, all revealed to me. But, uh, but oh I gosh. loved it. I what loved a memory. And, and, and not that I'm bitter. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at some point, a few years after that, my parents bought me the hardcover, single volume, complete Sherlock Holmes with all nice. 56 stories and novels and I'm sure now if I tried to pick that up the print would be so small (laughs) I would have no chance but at age 13 it was perfect (laughs) and I devoured those I still have that that along with my hard covers of Batman and Superman from the 30s to the 70s
3: -hmm.
0: the copies of all all three of those are the ones that I had low those many years ago
3: Wonderful memories. Uh,
0: and then my, my mom was a huge reader of mystery novels. I mean, she would get stacks of them from the library. And I picked up a lot of those from Agatha Christie, to Robert B. Parker, to Sue Grafton, and, mm-hmm. and really, really enjoy that genre uh, as well. Uh, I was talking to M about this episode, and they wanted to make sure that we gave a shout out to a PBS series from when M was maybe four, five, six, seven, sort of in, in that range. And it's a show that only had a very narrow window of influence, and that's the show Wishbone. Hmm. And uh, 40 or 50 episodes over just a couple year period. What it was, was a live action show in which a Jack Russell Terrier's imagination would bring the cast, you know, their human family, into famous works of literature to teach an important theme. (laughs) It was as strange as it sounds, a live action. Think Lancelot Link (laughs) with a dog and the dog would be dressed up as the main character. They would do little period pieces anyway. And Sherlock Holmes, there were two Sherlock Holmes stories in that run. Of course, The Hound of the Baskervilles. (laughs) being one of course oh yes uh but so wanted to make sure that that shout out and uh can't remember if it was m or mrs quarterbin who also said and the great mouse detective
3: Oh, I love The Great Mouse Detectives. Yes. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. It, it really is. And I'm so glad you mentioned Wishbone. So thank you to M for wanting that <laughs> mentioned. I've, I've never heard of it before, but it just goes to show again, Alan, how you and I are exactly the same age, because <laughs> you knew to mention Lancelot Link, which was something <laughs> that I could connect to.
0: <laughs> and I must confess. Lancelot Link is not a show I have sought out on YouTube or any other source. <laughs> I fear I might be disappointed. Uh-huh.
3: If I you know am what certain I'm saying. you would be. I, I remember it fondly <laughs> as a child, and I live in fear of ever coming across it <laughs> yes, again as yes. an adult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, in preparation for this uh, story for this episode, in addition to reading uh, this comic. I also listened to the audio version of the story and I watched the excellent adaptation from the excellent Granada TV series, starring the excellent Jeremy Brett.
2: I agree entirely. All of those excellent, excellence are (laughs) well-deserved.
3: Absolutely. Jeremy Brett, the definitive Sherlock Holmes. I love so many other Sherlock Holmes. There are many Sherlock Holmes extras that I, I love, but Jeremy Brett is definitive. Perfect.
0: And one one just weird bit of, of of trivia, of course, during that show, there were two actors that played Watson,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the one that read the audio book was the other one from the one that was in the series. Oh. So just, just weird. so I got to experience both of those, both, nice. of, both of those nice. gentlemen in the last in in the last week, and we'll point out that in that episode, uh, Jeremy Brett, by the way, he just looked so great. Mm-hmm. He'd like this cream suit with a yellow flower in his lapel. It won't be he looks so 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 dapper.
3: Very much how uh, Sherlock Holmes is in the mm-hmm. stories by Arthur Conan yes. Doyle. He, he yes. doesn't always wear an Inverness cape and a mm-hmm. Deerstalker hat, so mm-hmm. a lot more variety to his mm-hmm. costume. And, and yes. Jeremy Brett really encapsulated it. And you're right with those two actors. We, we love both of those actors that played Watson. And I always thought it was so nice when David Burke, the first one, decided mm-hmm. not to return after a couple of seasons of the show. He recommended his friend, Edward Hardwick, mm-hmm. to replace him. And they mm-hmm. they did that. And that was wonderful because it sort of gave that nice bridge to where you, you didn't miss one or worry about the other one because right. you had that connection between the one handing it off to the other. So it was mm-hmm. like a, a relay race. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of this comic book, um, I did want to talk about the series itself a little bit before talking about this specific story. This uh, series, this is Cases of Sherlock Holmes, ran 20 issues, 15 of them with Renegade, before wrapping up its run at North Star Publishing. Now, I was not familiar with this series at all until I saw this issue you know, a couple of years back for a quarter. I picked, up, <laughs> I picked up another one a little bit later for a dollar. Don't tell Stella. Oh. <laughs> um, had you guys, either of you, seen or knew about this particular series?
3: It's really interesting that you asked that. And I know when you tagged us on social media or shared something with this one, I was so excited to see that cover, which I know I'm not going to say anything about the cover. Ruth will, Ruth will want to talk here. about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's interesting because when Ruth and I used to go to comic shops back in the 80s and we always went to the in the back room where you could get independent black and white comics cheaply we didn't have a lot of money that's what we bought and I I would buy anything Sherlock Holmes I could buy and I recognized the cover to this and I was like oh surely I must have this so I went out to my garage and pulled out my box of comics with Sherlock Holmes I have everything from the black and white eternity comics from that period of time which Mm -hmm. reprinted the the newspaper strips all the way to, you know, the recent ones from Dynamite. Uh, But I didn't have a single issue of this, which surprised me. It it made me wonder if I I picked up some and then in a move they got lost, or if it was one of those things where I was looking for it, but just never found it. So I, I was familiar with the series, but obviously hadn't managed to collect any of them. So thank you for bringing one into our hands so we could experience it.
0: Because obviously, as, as you said, there have been a number of Holmes comics across the years, but this one seemed unique to me. In this one, it's Dan Day is the artist, and he contributes mm. uh, sort of moody black and white illustrations to the original Arthur Conan Doyle classic adventures, which are completely presented in their original text. So the word adaptation isn't right here it is more in the, in the vibe of a, an illustrated novel or an illustrated story that yes. com- contains the complete text, not in speech bubbles or narration boxes, just as you know, column inches uh, of text. And those are interrupted on each page by three or four or five or six uh, drawings, uh, which can be uh, in sort of in panels. Uh, you're not using the panels to follow the story. Mm-hmm. The panels themselves are simply uh, additional illustrations
3: it's a really nice effect I, I do like it it's you can tell that you know because there are a lot of illustrations in this issue yes. I mean it's a lot of art and, and you can tell that he uh, Dan day had to choose which ones he spends more time on and which ones right. he spends less time on so some of the some of the art is really detailed and very intricate and some of it is almost sort of like you know quick sketches type things. And, and there's such a nice variety to it because some of it even you think that, oh, you know, this particular image is a very nice homage to Sidney Paget, the the original artist. It's like you can just sort of see all that variety. It made me think how much I hadn't ever thought about it before, but how much I would love a very lavishly illustrated edition of the Sherlock Holmes stories because this was very nice.
0: I didn't realize, you know, what these were. Like I said, I picked up a couple of them and just stashed them in my Sherlock Holmes area of my collection, figuring, you know, when I get the rest of them, you know, I'll sit through and read the whole series because you don't want to just pick out individual issues. And it wasn't until, I mean, after we had set up for you guys to be on this call, I said, well, you know, I probably ought to read the the story. I probably (laughs) probably ought to read the issue at this point, right? I mean, the point one point of the quarter bin is I try not to pre-read, you Mm -hmm. know, you want it, you want to make the decision and then you read it. Because that way mm-hmm. you, you never know what, what, what you're going to get. And it was like, this is the story. What, what is that? <laughs> I did not, realize, did not realize what they were uh, uh, at all. Uh, the story in this episode, the Naval Treaty, is the only one in this series that was cut into two issues. So technically, mm-hmm. we're going to be looking only at the second half of it we will synopsize the whole story, sure. obviously for, for context. And um, the little bit of research that I did, I do research just to shame Nathaniel Wayne. Um, <laughs> this, uh, I did learn that this was the first actual home story that was syndicated originally in two parts. Because of the short wow. stories, it is, it is either the longest one or, or one of the longest ones. So that's, that's how this one got split into two. Now, I imagine it's not twice as long as the other ones. Hmm. you know so i wonder if there is a lot more illustration in this one you know to make the the text fit
2: mm-hmm. right two you issues know. worth
0: yeah it's really
3: uh, nice trivia thank you
0: there you go see so all of that brings us to cases of sherlock holmes number 14 which had a cover price of two dollars which means i got this for a very acceptable 87 percent markdown so Darren and Ruth, while you were out paying $2 for this, I'm just saying, all you had to do was wait 30 years and you could have saved a buck 75. Like, I'm not here to judge.
2: That's I'm true. just saying
0: a little patience pays off.
2: Be patient and you'll get a bargain.
0: So this cover by Dan Day Shows Holmes on like a spiral staircase outside a castle or inside a castle, something engaged in a sword fight, which is an awesome scene from nowhere in the story. (laughs) But there is a story behind this cover, isn't there?
2: Yes, an homage to an Errol Flynn Robin Hood Yes. movie and I love Robin Hood stories I love Sherlock Holmes stories so why not put those two together just for me I really really enjoyed it
3: <laughs> exactly just for Ruth she's the center of the universe <laughs> perfect
2: perfect but so, it makes for an exciting cover it certainly does it certainly
0: does and I actually like the the intro page sort of the the, the cover page of the story Which is home surrounded by our six main characters within the story, and they are all portrayed in in puzzle pieces.
3: I absolutely love that page, Alan. I I marked it as one of my top three pages in the mm -hmm. book. Uh, I love it, it's gorgeous illustration of uh, basil rathbone as sherlock holmes Mm -hmm. and then yes i love just like you mentioned the puzzle pieces with all of the key characters inside of each puzzle piece it's a really stunning title page
0: so it you know it sort of harkens back to that comic book trope of like the roll call hmm. Yes. Uh, but it also gives you and uh, again, it, it hits thematically also just lets you know who is going to be in in the story and what they're going to look like, you know, to, yeah. in, in, in essence, your your cast of characters. So this story, The Adventure of the Naval Treaty, part two was written, as we said, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and adapted, I guess, not quite the right word, but presented to us through the art of Dan Day. And the indicia notes that the use of the characters and text is by arrangement with Dame Jean Conan Doyle. So this was an authorized version. I think here in the early 2020s, much of Holmes has fallen into the public domain in many Mm -hmm. countries, which Mm -hmm. is why you are seeing a a resurgent of comics and other other adaptations of Mm -hmm. the original Holmes canon. Uh, now it, it can be done. But again, here, this, there was some level of authorization with this, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was interesting. Like I said, we're going to synopsize the entire story, not just uh, the, the second half. And I'm using as my jumping off point, a synopsis I found on Wikipedia, which I am professionally obligated to point out, is not a primary source. So <laughs> just, you know. So Dr. Watson uh, refers a letter to Holmes which came from an old schoolmate, Percy Phelps. Now a foreign office employee who's had an important naval treaty stolen right off his desk. Disappeared when Phelps stepped out of his office momentarily. The office has two entrances with a you know, commissionaire keeping watch at the main entrance. Phelps was alone in the office, but knew that his fiance, Annie Harrison's brother, Joseph was in town and that he might drop by. So Phelps pulled the bell cord in his office to order some coffee, and he was copying the treaty while he waited for it to come up, but a lot of time passed. So this is when he leaves the office, went down, and found the man asleep. Now, uh, he did not need to wake him up because right about that same time, the bell from his office rang again. Realizing that someone was in his office with the treaty still spread out on his desk, Phelps rushed back up and found that the document had vanished, as had the thief. It seemed obvious that the thief had come in through the side entrance. No footprints were seen in the office, despite it being a rainy evening. The best suspect at this point is the commissioner's wife, but other suspects were the commissioner himself and Phelps' colleague, Charles Garreau. The police followed them all, but nothing came of it. Phelps was driven to despair by the incident, and when he got back to Woking, uh, his his hometown, he was immediately put to bed in his fiance's brother's room. There he remained sick with brain fever. For about two months, his reputation and his honor lost. Holmes makes a number of observations that others seem to have missed. Absence of footprints, Uh, maybe the thief came by cab, there's also the remarkable fact that the dire consequences that ought to result from a treaty being stolen have not happened in all the time that Phelps has been ill, and most tantalizing who rung the bell in Phelps' office when Phelps was downstairs. Holmes gathers some info at the Phelps' house, where his fiancé has been nursing him during the days, and a hired nurse has been watching over him at night. Joseph also remains to be of service whenever he can. So that brings us to this issue, the second half of the story. And Holmes visits Lord Holdhurst, Phelps' uncle, the foreign secretary, and is quite sure now that no one could have overheard the uh, the discussion about copying the treaty. And again, the fact that nothing has happened in France or Russia, uh, the countries involved in the treaty, despite months passing, leads Holmes to conclude that the thief has not yet sold the treaty. So why hasn't he made a move yet? Meanwhile, someone tries to break into Phelps's uh, house during the night into his sick room. Phelps surprised him at the window but cannot see his face through the man's hooded cloak. He did, however, see a large knife as he dashed away. Uh, This happened the very first night that Phelps dismissed the night nurse because he was feeling better. Now, Holmes has a theory, and he orders Annie, the fiancee, to stay in the sick room all day long and then to leave it and lock it from the outside when she finally goes to bed. And this she does. Holmes finds a hiding place to watch the house after sending Watson and Phelps to London on the train and also letting the occupants of the house believe that he has gone to London with them, which you may know is a classic Holmes maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> And overnight, the interloper appears, gets in through a window, opens a hidden hatch in the floor, and pulls out the treaty. He then steps straight back out the window and Holmes intercepts him, after which they fight, with Holmes emerging victorious, but having suffered some minor injuries. Always one for the dramatic flair. Holmes has the treaty literally served up to Phelps on a platter at breakfast, the next morning at 221B Baker Street. The treaty had been in Phelps' sick room all the time, while the thief, the brother Joseph, who usually slept in the room, he could not get to it. He was the one who rang the bell in Phelps' office after dropping by to visit and finding him not there, but then he saw the treaty and at once realized it had potential value. So his inability to recover the treaty in the intervening months explains why there's been no political consequences. Holmes had learned that Joseph had lost a great deal of money in the stock market, which explains his greed and desperation. Holmes explains the several clues that all pointed to Joseph. So Phelps is ecstatic, Holmes quietly triumphant, and once again, Watson is dumbfounded. The end. Thank you for indulging me in that that long synopsis.
3: Yay. This is a brand new experience for us. I have heard you in my ears (laughs) summarize stories for years and years, and it was really entertaining today actually see you in front of me on a zoom screen telling that story to me face to face so <laughs> thank you for the new experience I, i'll expect all your podcasts to be like this going forward okay so i can see your facial expressions
0: include yeah, i will include, <laughs> I will include the, that video performance
2: <laughs> very well done i enjoyed listening
0: <laughs> so we do have a couple of things to talk about here first is the story itself the actual writing and i guess that is so guys how do you think Doyle did with the story.
2: Pulled me in like what I really like for a good mystery and a good Sherlock Holmes mystery is for me to get in the story and try to figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. What are the clues? What are my theories? And this one grabbed me from the very start. It's like, why would a thief have rung the bell? And Mm -hmm. how could this have vanished so quickly? Just very intriguing from the start.
3: I do really enjoy Doyle's writing. I mean, his Sherlock Holmes stories are, are so much fun. And mm-hmm. what's interesting in reading them is they're short stories, or at least 56 out of the 60 are short mm-hmm. stories. Yet at the same time, he still manages to give you the clues. They're all there for you mm-hmm. to figure it out yourself. But he also gives you enough misdirection that it's not obvious. So it's always wonderful reading his stories. It's like they're they're just perfectly balanced, which is also why they're a perfect length for like the Jeremy Brett TV series yes. for an hour long episode. Uh, it, it's just everything is just the right amount of balance. And, you know, his dialogue is just very crisp and his descriptions are very crisp, but it's just always refreshing to read Doyle's writing.
0: I, I like the fact that within the corpus of the of the original Holmes stories, you've got obviously stories of major crimes but you've also got stories of minor and weird crimes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
0: mean, he seems to enjoy those. And then mm-hmm. you've also got these ones that have like international and almost spy elements, mm-hmm. you know, to them as well. You know, often those involve Mycroft. You know, uh, this, one, mm-hmm. uh, this one did not. But I do like the fact that there are some distinct categories, you no know, distinct differences among the, the types of stories that are told.
3: Really good point, Alan, because you're right, they're not all, they don't all look or feel or read the same. There's a wonderful amount of variety to them, which, you know, is just goes to speak to the fact that Doyle wrote other things as well, not just Sherlock Holmes. And uh, you get that variety even in his mystery stories, Mm -hmm. a a lot more variety than you might get from some mystery writers.
0: And spoilers, there are a few where Holmes doesn't solve it, or at least doesn't catch the perpetrator. (laughs) So <laughs> surprise that right that that is a surprising element as well. There are a handful where the bad guy gets away.
2: I think it makes it more realistic, mm-hmm. and you can believe like Sherlock Holmes. He's a real real detective out there.
0: And one of my favorite bits it doesn't doesn't apply here, but one of my favorite bits of of Holmes is that his he has incredibly deep you know expertise, but it's actually not a broad. Not mm-hmm. knowledge-based. There, you know, Watson is shocked at some of the things that Holmes doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Is simply not interested in, including like you know astronomy and the number mm-hmm. of planets that there are. You know, things like that. You know, sort of what we might think of as basic human information. I'm so glad you mentioned that.
3: that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that's such a wonderful example because it's easy for like some adaptations today just to to make. Sherlock Holmes a, a Superman or something like mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, who, who knows everything but yes it's much more entertaining and interesting in Doyle's writing and I love the example you just gave about astronomy because like you said Dr. Watson is shocked to know that Holmes doesn't know that the earth goes around the sun as opposed to the sun going around the earth and, and Sherlock Holmes is very much like it will not help me in you know, what I do for my career. So <laughs> I don't need to know this and I will try to forget it as quickly as possible because it's taking up room in my yes. brain that I don't need.
2: <laughs> Useless information. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and I like the fact here also that despite it having this sort of international espionage element to it, it's not a mastermind intricately plotted. It's a, it's a crime of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something you also don't see a lot of in, in stories like this. Again, you, have, you, you need to have the mastermind villain. And of course, Holmes has those as well. But it's like, you know if, if we're going to pit this super detective, you need to help also have a super villain. But no, this guy just went in to visit you know, a family member, saw this, in essence, he saw this pile of cash,
3: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> grabbed mm-hmm. it and ran out. Nothing deeper than that.
3: Isn't that refreshing too? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, just, it. everything isn't you know, like you said, a supervillain or anything like that. You get so much variety, and I love that variety. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually what helps so much with the both the clues and the misdirection in this one is the fact that it is a crime of opportunity. Yes, and if you don't read the clues right, you could easily go off in the wrong direction.
0: Mm-hmm. As we said, there were. Uh, uh, this is not the only time that Holmes tells everyone he's gonna do one thing and mm. then does not. And I like right. the, and the, <laughs> the way I love that this was portrayed in that Jeremy Brett version, whether they're in the horse-drawn carriage, you know, heading down to the, to the train, he just jumps off the back of it, you know, as it's getting ready to leave the estate and so it waves everyone on, you guys go to London, I'm staying here.
2: <laughs> he had other plans. He had other plans.
0: A
3: Brilliant, brilliant performer.
0: Obviously the story itself is part of this, but we're talking about this as an illustrated story or illustrated novel. So the art and, and the layout. So in addition to Doyle doing a pretty good job, how did Dan Day do?
2: Oh, I enjoyed it very much. I like the illustration style mm-hmm. and I thought the placement of the text and the images flowed very well. Like the layout was good. You know, I would read a little bit here and then I would kind of study some of the Mm -hmm. illustrations and then I might look at the illustrations first and then read. So it just felt very flexible and enjoyable to me.
3: I'm glad you mentioned that, Ruth. You know, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. It's like every page is is formatted and set up completely differently, which you know mm-hmm. it keeps your eyes moving across the page so you don't just focus only on the text and miss the art. So it's nice the way it's laid out. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. You didn't share that to me when we talked about it. <laughs> you are saving stuff for Alan, I see.
2: Inspiration of the moment.
0: Save it for the show, save
2: it for the show.
0: <laughs> and, and obviously the, uh, the model for, for Holmes is, is terrific
3: and it, the art is great it's i know we talked about Ruth talked about the cover and you talked about the title page which i loved as well and, and then sort of like i was mentioning earlier too it's like there's such a variety to the art so you get
2: mm-hmm.
3: you get a nice little there's there's one page where in the upper right hand corner there's a simple little image of you know two or three characters sitting in in chairs talking with each other that looks so much like a, a Sydney Paget illustration it's mm-hmm. just like i'm sure mm-hmm. that was his inspiration right. yep then there, there are others where you know it's just like very much a you know a, a smaller you know less detailed uh illustration and then you get some real beautiful montages or uh, yeah beautiful is a fine word but also just mm-hmm. very intricate maybe is a better yep. word montages like when the you know villain breaks into the house the first night and he gives us a single image but it like presents about three or four different scenes within Mm -hmm. that all in one image. I love that page, for instance, and it's just terrific. And of course, there's a train going along the countryside and I love trains. So (laughs) (laughs) a great variety of art and so much art. It's wonderful. A
0: couple other for uh, each of you, the favorite pages or favorite panels that, that, that we didn't mention yet.
2: I would say I like toward the beginning kind of the opening with Trafalgar Square and the statue mm-hmm. being clean like that was a really mm-hmm. interesting perspective uh, and you know you're right there in the heart of London and you you know see the seagulls in the sky i thought that mm-hmm. was a nice nice page
3: and i know i was mentioning the train scene i loved earlier right. where it's going along the countryside but there's another one i really like as well and it's i'm glad you mentioned the difference in the tv adaptation when holmes sort of jumps off the back of the carriage Uh, in the story itself he actually travels with them all the way to the train and then he just steps back and doesn't get on the train i actually love that illustration there it's a very Mm -hmm. small one but i love the perspective because the angle on it yeah exactly it's done at an angle and i think that's so perfect because it's sort of In the illustration, it gives you a feeling of what Watson and Phelps were probably thinking. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? They're not quite sure. And you get that sort of feeling in the illustration. I I do really like that.
0: Yeah, one that I liked is uh, is a scene towards the end of Holmes, and he's sitting with his legs stretched out in front of him.
3: Yes, I'm actually looking at that illustration.
0: (laughs) And the perspective is so wonderful because his shoes are huge. <laughs> right. And, and then, you know, his head is small, then the people behind him are so much smaller. But I think it's right. You know, I th- I think it's yeah. correct. It looks so strange. You know, it's certainly attention getting. But you look at it and say, Yeah, I th- I think that's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very well <laughs> done on the perspective there. <laughs> it
3: is. I, I love that one as well. And the the whole perspective is great. And it's just like it shows how much variety is there is to the illustration because that is so intricate. You look at all of those. The hash uh, lines and mm-hmm. stuff it's just gorgeous and the lighting it's a wonderful yes. image and yeah, i there's... think
2: throughout there's a lot of good use of the shadow and the light because you're working with you know black and white and shades right there uh, he makes you know full use of that with the lighting effect and that adding to the atmosphere so like if something's dark at night and happening you know you get the moody darkness just a little bit of light casting the shadows
0: we've seen that in comics where. You know if if you look at the you know, an, an inked page before a colored page, you, know, you can see some of the differences that the black and white uh, pulls out. but it's it's even more dramatic here where this was fully and only intended to be black and white.
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: then there's a there's one that I like. It's actually it's the the last page of the story itself, sort of a two page spread. and you've got, this is where Holmes is revealing the solution. And he's got his violin mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the crook of his arm. He is just completely relaxed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is completely comfortable. And then you've got sort of five or maybe six sort of inset panels mm-hmm. that are reflecting the action you know, as he's describing it. I just love how calm and relaxed and assured Holmes yes. is as he is revealing all to
2: us. He's resolved it. He can enjoy mm-hmm. his pipe. He can relax. Mm-hmm. You have some of that classic imagery there with the violin that you mentioned.
3: Mm-hmm. That's that's a wonderful double page spread. You're absolutely right. But yeah, the art in this is all is good all the way through. It's like it, I even like the art on the you know the back issues order page at the at the end. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. so, <laughs> so the,
3: the whole book is lush. Yeah,
2: and see again, he's holding the lantern, and then the shadows behind right. him, like it just. Really well done. Imagine I, the artist had fun with these.
0: And then I have to say one more thing about the lettering or about like the like the literal scripting itself, the, uh, the layout. And we sort of hinted at it when I talked about uh, not wanting to attempt to read that complete Sherlock Holmes uh, collection that I have. But, um, you know, this is something that's increasingly important as I, let's mm-hmm. just say, as I gain more life experience. <laughs> and that is that this comic has a lot of words in it and by definition they're going to have to be pretty small but because of the stark black and white or this particular font choice whatever it is the quality of the paper and the reproduction you know 30 years later this is a very readable comic that's not always the case with (laughs) books that i could easily peruse 30 some years ago i mean it was a delight with how easy it was to uh, uh, to read all of that text, and like I said, that
2: sometimes I, that doesn't happen. I was just thinking, though, how appropriate would it be to get a nice magnifying glass, and read Sherlock Holmes? Be, I mean, that would that this would.
0: Fit. This would be the one time. You would feel <laughs> no shame. It would be no shame. It would be it? Would be wrong not to, Ruth. It would be wrong right, not right.
3: to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well,
0: you guys know what's coming up. So, Countess and Count, is this comic worth a quarter?
2: Oh, absolutely. Money <laughs> well spent.
3: Absolutely. I, I would say it's worth more than that, but I know Stella will be upset. Yeah, exactly. So. Please, <laughs> we do not
0: talk like that. I mean, Definitely
3: worth a quarter. A complete, quarter well spent.
0: Complete agreement. <laughs> The verdict on the cases of Sherlock Holmes number 14. If you want to experience the original Holmes stories, but also have some pictures to go along with them, this is the way to go. <laughs> this series is the way to go. These would all be solid quarter bin deals. So friends, thank you so much for joining me on this one.
3: Thank it you is- so much for the invitation. This was Just wonderful fun to spend time with you talking about Sherlock Holmes.
0: Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Great to have you back in the quarter bin. So where can we find you and your work online?
3: Well, I think we'll recommend Rad Adventures Network. So you can find Rad Adventures Network and your podcast uh, app of choice Whichever one that might be. You can also find RadAdventuresNetwork.com online where you'll find links to all of our podcasts. And you can find Rad Adventures Network on YouTube where you can listen to all of our episodes. I'm gonna recommend that because you'll if you go to that source, you'll find Trekker Talk, where we talk about Ron Randall's Trekker, you'll find Warlord Worlds, where we talk about Mike Grell's wonderful creations. You'll find that, you know, that wonderful Mark Schultz series. Um, I forget what you called it, Professor Allen, but I'll mistakenly call it Xenozoic Xenophiles, but I'm sure that was wrong. <laughs> I mean, you, look, you guys, you do you. You do you. And it's also where you'll find our little one-off podcast. Each of those three podcasts have their own feed, but you'll find our one-off sort of podcast like Sensational Sluice, only available at Brad Adventures Network's feeds. So go there and please listen. And if you do, Right, and let us know, and always come back and listen to more of the quarter bit.
0: <laughs> Thank you again, a pleasure having you on. And that wraps up our coverage of the cases of Sherlock Holmes number fourteen, bringing episode one sixty eight to a close. Next time, we are heading to the Big Apple in the heart of the nineteen seventies. Police action number two. Featuring Lomax, NYPD, and Mike Malone Manhunter from Atlas Seaboard Comics, cover dated April 1975. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the episode, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes Comics, or the podcast itself, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen. And I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Short Box Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.